Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGinwin with teammate Aliyah Kamalova. Welcome to The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice for women so you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. On today's episode, we're discussing how to create a more inclusive workplace with Karen Catlin, a leadership coach, keynote speaker, author, and a passionate advocate for inclusion in the workplace. Karen's books are Better Allies, Everyday Actions to Create Inclusive, Engaging Workplaces, and The Better Allies Approach to Hiring, which we will include all the links to that in the show notes. On today's episode, we're discussing two things. One, what does inclusion mean and why does it matter to a workplace? And two, five actions you can make to create a more inclusive workplace. Plus, stick around for Dear Career Contessa, our listener advice segment where we answer your career questions, starting with, how do I politely tell someone I can't network with them? Well, hi, Karen. Welcome to The Females. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. All right. So let's start by first introducing you. Karen, can you give us a brief introduction about yourself and also your company, Better Allies? Sure. So very briefly, I spent about 25 years working in tech in corporate America. And I now have my own business where I am a leadership coach, an advocate for inclusive workplaces, and an author and a speaker. And so I have a few books on the topic of Better Allies and how to be more inclusive at work. Amazing. I actually found you through your Instagram account. So everyone should also follow Better Allies on Instagram. It's fantastic. You have some really cool graphics. And I feel like you're making the conversation around allyship and, you know, diversity inclusion fun and cool. So <laughs> I appreciate that. I don't know if anyone else has told you that. <laughs> but You just made my day. Let me tell you, I've made the conversation and dialogue cool. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. We always joke about this at Career Contessa, like talking about careers and all that is not usually in the top things people want to talk about or like the catalyst that brings them to Career Contessa is something negative at work. So I always appreciate people who can make this work, you know, a little bit more engaging, I guess. <laughs> Let's get you to define a few terms for us and our audience just so we're all on the same page. So what does inclusion mean and being an ally or allyship? Sure, sure. So 
often people use the term inclusion in the same breath as diversity. And so let's just start there quickly. Diversity to me means your demographics. Your demographics being like, what is the percentage of people who have different genders, different sexual orientations, different races, abilities, ages, things like that, the demographics. That represents your diversity or lack thereof, as the case might be. So that's good. It's good to focus on it. And it's good to focus on it in business because there's so many studies that show why diversity is good for business. It's more profitable. You become more profitable when you have a more diverse team. You're better at problem solving, solving really difficult problems. You're better at innovation too. So there are all these great things, great benefits around having a diverse workforce. That is, means nothing without inclusion. And so to get to your question, Aaliyah, inclusion is all about making sure that people from all sorts of different backgrounds feel included when they show up at work. They feel included in that. They feel a part of the conversation. They feel invited to the right meetings. They feel that they are respected for their opinion, their work product. They feel they can do their best work. They can thrive, basically. When you have all of that, that's when the real benefits of diversity come into play. So answered that, should I move on to the next question? Like, well, what is this whole allyship? I want to define that. Yeah, what's this cool yeah. allyship that you keep talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so allyship to me means using your position of privilege, power, etc. Using your position of privilege to be more inclusive of people who don't have the same privilege as you. So as I mentioned in the intro, I worked a long time in tech, and tech is notoriously male-dominated. So as a woman in the tech industry, I did not have as much privilege necessarily as some of my male colleagues, especially my white male colleagues. By contrast or continuing along those lines, I had a lot of privilege. I was a vice president. I had a lot of respect across the organization, and I am white. So I had privilege based on the color of my skin and my social standing, so to speak, within the organization. So I could use my privilege, even as a woman who is in a male-dominated field, I could use my privilege to help advocate, sponsor, make a more inclusive work environment for, for other people with not the same privilege as me. So an ally in the room, in the Zoom, and whatever, when they see someone being interrupted, they can use their kind of their clout in the organization to sort of basically say, hey, you know, I'd like to hear Aaliyah finish her thought when you were interrupted. That's a great ally move. And I think that is very indicative and representative of how allies can show up once they start seeing how different people, people different from them experience the workplace. And I feel like the key here too is like speaking up for people and not over them, which is another common problem. Like, oh, I'm helping them, but maybe you're just restating their idea and taking credit. So it's like uh, towing that line of like, make sure you're just amplifying rather than just speaking over them. Right. It shouldn't be about you and making you look so awesome because you're doing this work. It's more about, as you said, amplifying other voices, other people, the points they're making, the ideas you have, they have the things you've learned from them in the past even. And I think we've seen a lot right now, especially about like performative allyship. And I'm sure that manifests in the workplace as well. How do you distinguish from performative allyship to being a true ally and helping a marginalized group? We need to be aware of how we're showing up, I'll say. And it's not always easy to just say, you have to be more aware of how you're showing up. But that is a building block to this. The ultimate test is, are you at the end of this, whatever you're doing, this advocacy, this sponsorship, whatever, are you making it about yourself 
Or are you benefiting from taking this action? And if you personally are benefiting, that becomes performative in my mind. People may be like debating this in their head. Wait a second, there was a time I did X, Y, or Z, and I, yeah, I benefited from it, but that wasn't the reason I was doing it. Well, just be careful of that. You really want to have this mindset of, I want to make my workplace more inclusive so everyone can thrive and do their best work. And it's not about making me shine. It's like the person at work who is the ally, but then has to let everyone know that they were the ally or like letting everyone know, hey, I always make sure that Aaliyah has time to speak in a meeting. Like the person who's kind of like bragging about it a little bit. Right, right. I have to admit, I fell into this trap. I'll just share with you. I think I'm okay sharing this in a podcast. But the other night at dinner, I happened to... Uh, be talking about this great book. I don't want to go into details, but a great book. It's by a Black author and that I had recommended her for speaking engagement to someone who was looking for speaking. And I had recommended her book in this other channel. So I was talking about this at dinner and I said to my family, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just made it all about me. And that to me, I was, it was a little performative, you know, right at my dinner table. I mean, I think we all have fallen into that. And I think going back to your first comment about self-awareness, you know, which is right. Like it's easy to say, hard to do, but also like very main ingredient in all this. I'm curious, besides maybe a lack of self-awareness, what other challenges do you see employees, leaders, or even companies uh, have when it comes to creating inclusive workplaces? I mean, it seems like we're always talking about this, but is it just so hard to do? Or what, what are the main challenges? So a few things I'd like to touch on here. One is there are you know, practices, habits, whatever that we have that are hard to break. So you can be aware, but it's still hard to form new new habits, new practices, more inclusive behavior. So that's just one thing. I'm reading some books now too, because I want to better understand from experts how you develop new habits, because I think that's an important part of this whole allyship practice. So building new habits is important. The second thing is white fragility kind of mindset around wait, I've never experienced that, so it must not be real. I've never seen that happen, so it really can't be a problem. Um, And I say white fragility because it's often, you can see, especially these days with what's happening in our world, um, people not quite understanding the black experience, for example, in America. I've never experienced being scared of police. Like why, why are people, what's the big deal here? That plays out in the workplace too. I've never been interrupted in a meeting. Like, why? what's the big deal about this? I've never been offended when someone has used the term blacklist in conversations about who we're going to allow to access our trial product, right? I've never been offended by that term blacklist. What's the big deal? Well, here's the thing. It's a big deal because the people who have felt not included in that conversation, they, they have experienced feeling of discrimination or not being included. Like It matters to them. And so we have to be aware that just because it hasn't affected us doesn't mean it can't make a difference if we change that behavior, change that language, change that whatever. People seem to have this challenge of like, well, if it hasn't happened to me, or they can't even try to understand why that would matter if it's never mattered to them. But I also feel like, isn't that sort of a basic like, empathy thing where you're able to kind of put yourself in someone else's shoes. So also maybe this comes down to, you know, maybe practicing empathy and other, and and also seeing that as a strength. We actually just had an article on, um, that we were sharing on career contestant. It was, it was talking about how like a lot of people also see 
people as who are empathetic or sensitive, you know, taking into account other people's feelings as a weakness too. Well, I think we need to get over that in the workplace, uh, <laughs> personally. And this is, you know, I'm not the first person to say this. There's There's been a lot of dialogue about the benefits of more feminine leadership qualities. And it's not to say that women are all empathetic and men aren't, but the, there are a number of uh, feminine leadership qualities that we are going to start seeing valued in a way we haven't before. And some of that will be due to what's happened because of Black Lives Matter and a renewed focus of, we have not been doing enough. How can we get better? And some of these feminine leadership qualities are going to be the ticket. We had an episode with Caroline Turner, season two of Disruption, and she talked about how there's feminine and masculine like leadership languages and that it doesn't actually have to do with your gender. Like feminine doesn't mean all women, masculine doesn't all mean all men. And her whole point was that you actually have to be bilingual in those languages. It's a really good episode. I'll put it in the show notes because it touches on exactly what you're saying, which is you have to educate yourself, right? Like I didn't know there were different types of leadership styles, masculine, feminine, like just learning the definitions of inclusion, diversity. I think a lot of this is also starts with sort of, um, you know, knowledge is power and like educating yourself on this. So up next, Karen will share five actions you can take to create a more inclusive workplace, including virtual workplaces, since uh, those are becoming kind of our new slash next normal. So up next, we've got five tips. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about Miro. Virtual collaboration is here and it's here to stay. So why not make it easy and actually pretty and fun with Miro? Working remotely doesn't mean you're disconnected from your team. Collaborate from wherever you are with Miro. Say goodbye to working things out on a sheet of office paper or an old whiteboard. Miro lets you visualize everything you're working on all in one place as a team. Miro is an online whiteboard that brings teams together to collaborate in real time. Whether you're brainstorming, creating mock-ups, organizing files, or working on complex projects, Miro has you covered. A Miro can integrate with the programs you already use, like Google Drive, Dropbox, Jira, Slack, and more. You can even video chat with coworkers. Plus, it's really good, and you know this, because over 5 million users worldwide trust Miro to help their teams work more efficiently. It's everything you need to start working better together. Start collaborating for free. That wasn't a typo, totally free, when you sign up for an account at Miro.com slash females. So that's Miro, M-I-R-O dot com slash females, which is spelled F-E-M-A-I-L-S to sign up for a free account with unlimited team members. Sign up today. It's Miro.com slash females to have all the virtual collaboration you need in one place. So now that we've asked Karen to share a brief education around inclusion and allyship, let's talk about some actions employees, managers, and companies can take to create a more inclusive workplace. Karen, a first action people can take is to create a language matters discussion forum and also look out for masking language. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. So in my book, Better Allies, I have a whole chapter on inclusive language and or not inclusive languages, as the case might be. And one of the things I discussed in there, and I gave a lot of different examples of the language that we use in an everyday way that might not be inclusive, like the word guys. In tech, we use the term master-slave 
pretty regularly to talk about the original of something and then the copies that serve the the original. More recently, I've you know, heard from leaders that we can call this pandemic that we're in, it's due to the Chinese virus when it's really the coronavirus. They're, the language that we use every day can be very exclusive to people, now have them feel they're not a part of the mainstream, so to speak. And so I do think it's important to focus on our language. Language can be hard to change. And it also can be fraught with discussion of like, really, I can't use the word guys anymore. Guys is gender neutral. What are we talking about? So it's great to have a place like a Language Matters Slack channel, for example, or some other forum, depending on what your company uses. Questions in a safe place like, okay, I don't understand why I can't use the term, I don't know, I'm just going to make this up, but like, knock it out of the park. Like, what's the big deal? It's a sports metaphor. Everyone knows baseball. Come on, why can't I use that term? Well, then there's a place to talk about it and learn and also maybe record have, you know, have a record of what decisions you've made as a culture, stop using to retire and to start focusing on using instead. And do you see these forums being moderated by like a management team or is it just kind of like a, I don't know, whoever's, whoever wants to say something, like how does that get organized? Cause I feel like that's something that could be like, I don't know, a lot of discussion and then ultimately walking away with like, what did we settle on? <laughs> Ideally, there'd be someone moderating it, someone who could make sure that it was a productive conversation that was happening, focused on like why this matters and so forth. Ideally, it would be someone, and I don't mind if it's, you know, leadership or individual contributor, but someone who has a passion about this, but probably isn't part of an impacted group. Like I would not ask you know, for example, member of a underrepresented group in your organization, like ask them, can you do this? It would be more like open-ended, who would like to moderate this? Maybe there's someone who has a linguistics background or an editing background or something in your organization who would like to step up to the plate and do this. Oh, I just used a sports analogy and I try not to step up to the plate. This is just an example of how our language can be kind of fraught with all sorts of very culturally specific language that not everyone gets and grocks just, you know, from the get-go. Yeah. And I also think that if you use language, like using the example that just happened where you're like, oh, I try not to do it. Like, that's a perfect example of like, you're going to say something that maybe you don't mean to say it like that, or, you know, you're trying to create a new habit. And I think a perfect way if you do that is to say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, or, you know, I'm trying not to use that language anymore, or that phrase anymore and to fix it. You know, I think there's also your ego gets attached to sort of not wanting to be wrong. The ego gets attached to sort of this like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for saying, hey guys in a meeting or something like that. I also think people should just be a lot quicker to be like, whoops, didn't mean that. Let me fix, or, you know, like try not to do that. Or here's a different phrase, which will also help you create the new habit, right? I think it's okay to say, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be using that word anymore. I'm trying to stop using that word anymore. Show some vulnerability. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Yeah. It's all fine. <laughs> okay. So your second action that you can take is to get to know coworkers who are different from you. So what's a good first step to take with that? Yes. Okay. First of all, I've been reading just this week about some examples of Black women in the workplace. Leanin.org, just, um, and it, this will be my newsletter this week, they, they just surfaced some findings that showed that 60% of Black women that they surveyed have not had casual interactions with senior leadership. Casual interactions are things like, how's your morning going at the coffee machine? Or in a Zoom, you know, 
hey, nice to see you here. Like something like that. 60% of the Black women they surveyed said that that never happens between them and a senior leadership. So I just want to emphasize that. And another survey I was reading from the Center of Talent Innovation found that Black employees are more likely to say that experience 14 different kinds of microaggressions. And they, they surveyed people from all different races, ethnicities, and so forth. But one of these microaggressions was, my manager has met one-on-one with other people on the team, but not with me. Wow. Ouch. Oh, right? So here, <laughs> get to know how, if, if you don't know the people around you who are from different backgrounds, ethnicities, genders, abilities, ages, if you don't know these people, how are you possibly going to start getting to know their work, starting to trust them with maybe some stretched assignments and work that you might have to to give out? How are you going to ever sponsor them to get a promotion if you're not taking the time in one-on-ones or just these casual interactions to get to know people a little bit? So, the very first step is like start having those casual interactions. Those are so easy and those can be done over Zoom. They can be done when we all get back together at conferences or in the workplace. You know, I, I highly recommend when I speak at conferences, it's like, okay, at the next networking, you know, session, whether that's coffee right after my keynote or the happy hour that evening, it's like, go introduce yourself to someone who doesn't look like you. Start a conversation, see what happens. Now. Given that we're not in person very much now at all, another thing you can do is look for virtual conferences to attend that the target demographic really is people from an underrepresented group, but that you'd be welcome as someone who's not a part of that group. Um, Just over the weekend, there was a conference I attended the keynote of. I couldn't attend the whole thing, but it was a conference for elevating Black voices in tech, and it was also in honor of Juneteenth. It was called the Juneteenth Conference. And it was just so powerful to hear this firsthand experience from the keynote speaker about their journey to getting into tech as a member of of a racial minority and um, what that was like. It was highly illuminating for me as an ally to learn more about their journey. So that's something we all can do is look for a conference to attend virtually that is aimed at a different demographic but that we'd be welcome at. There's a lot of virtual conferences going on right now, virtual workshops, virtual webinars. I'll also sometimes do that with like speaking. Like, you know, I remember I, I, w- I was a speaker at someone's workshop. Um, their company's called Mother Honestly. And it was all about moms. And I was like, are you sure you want me speaking at this? Because I'm not a mom. But I joined the keynote and I was like, wow, I'm learning so much about working parents as a non-working parent, but someone who's running a resource that has, of course, working parents use it. It was very illuminating. And so I I think that you can really stretch this out. It doesn't have to, um, it can be people who, of course, don't look like you, but also people who are in tech, if you're not in tech, who are parents, who are, you know, working completely different industries. I, I also feel like I do that sometimes with podcasts too. Like I'll listen to a podcast that's on like a very, random different topic than I like that's in my inner circle. And it's really fascinating. So I think that's a really easy idea that anyone can can start with. I know that someone else I heard um, recommended is uh, having like a virtual virtual water cooler type space for your employees where, like you said, this casual conversations, I feel like with remote work, that's become even more important a little bit is to kind of somehow create that casual water cooler vibe if you can. So important for if you are in a leadership role managing a team to just set that up and have people stop by 
if they want to talk about something or just like overhear the conversation. Yeah, maybe now it's actually easier than ever to have uh, those conversational moments because it's like, I know you're sitting at your computer. So this virtual coffee like area is where we're going to have a conversational chat. Your third action is to recognize your power and privilege at work. What are some common privileges that white people don't recognize at work? In my book, and it's also available as a free download from my website, betterallies.com, I have a list of 50 ways you might have more privilege than others in the workplace. And if we can link to that in the show notes, that would be great as well. Uh, So I started paying attention to privilege. And let me back up to privilege. A lot of us get defensive when our privilege is pointed out. Because we start thinking, they only think I got to this point in my career and life, whatever, because I was given something for free. Like I'm a trust fund baby, or I didn't have to work very hard, or something along those lines. People, we get defensive. And I certainly have gotten defensive about that too when it's been pointed out for me. Yet, privilege is simply a set of social norms that give a group privilege over others. They give people respect or credibility because they're part of a social group, because of the color of their skin, because of their education level. That's just a fact. So privilege is these unearned benefits that we get because of our social standing. There are things, especially here in the U.S., if you are not a visa holder, if you actually have your citizenship you have more privilege than others because you can take some risks with your career, for example. You don't have to worry about, if I lose my job, I actually will lose my visa status. And so that gives you a little more confidence in taking some risks with your career. If you have a lot of financial privilege, this is another thing that happens, like you're not trying to pay down your student debt still or saddled with a lot of debt because of other personal things that are going on. If you have some disposable income, that means you can say yes to that, hey, let's all meet up for a drink after work. That might not cost that much, but you might not have that $20 that it might cost to actually go out for a drink and maybe split the appetizers or something. It may mean you're like, yeah, I can totally go um, on that whitewater rafting trip on Saturday with the team that's not company sponsored, but it would be really fun to go with the team. So there's a lot of financial privilege people have. And then, of course, health privilege and so forth. So it's a, it's a long list. I encourage people to reflect on it, read it all, 50 ways you might have privilege, count them even, and realize how that might allow you to navigate the workplace differently than people who don't have the same level of privilege as you. Yeah, I was looking over your list a little bit earlier, and it really is a good thing just to almost like a checklist of like, because I feel like with privilege, it doesn't mean you haven't had struggle in your life. It doesn't mean it's sometimes those things that you haven't even thought about or will never have to think about, right? Like up until what, a few days ago, if you were trans, you could be fired just for that sake. And that's something, for example, that I as a cisgendered woman will never have to think about or had ever had to think about. So it's not that like, you know, I didn't have any sort of adversity, but it's like, I never even needed to spend time personally for myself to think about it. So I feel like this list is a good, almost like a checklist for yourself of like, have I had to think about these things like before? And maybe if I hadn't, that's your privilege like coming out already. So I think it's definitely a 
a great list and we'll, we'll link it in the show notes too. And Aaliyah, thank you for sharing that one example. Um, I always love hearing about what people learn from going through that list. So thank you. This list is incredible. I just want to read like a few because I feel like, I feel like maybe the first 10 on the list people have thought of before, like English is your first language, you're white, you're a man, but you have others on here like number 17. Others don't routinely assume you're a lower seniority level than you are. Uh, number 18, you feel comfortable actively and effectively contributing to meetings you attend. Number 44, you don't have a long career gap on your resume. Uh, number 39, you can manage monthly payments on any debt you have. I mean, this is incredible. Everyone should go through this list. Every leader should have their team members go through this list and highlight everyone that they have. So a fourth action is to revisit how you evaluate performance. How and why is this part of allyship? Rely on research others have done. I'm not a researcher myself. And I learned from Stanford University. They have a research center there called the Clayman Institute. They focus on gender studies. What the study is, they looked at thousands of annual written performance reviews for three large tech companies and a professional services company. And they looked at this through a lens of gender. They found that men tended to get more feedback associated with here's what you're doing that's working really well, and here's some skills that you could learn to have a bigger impact, where women didn't get as much of that. So how are the women supposed to know what they should be doing? So women might get a piece of feedback, and I'll try to my best to quote this from the study. They might get a piece of feedback that says, people enjoy working with you. Well, that's great, right? The man, by contrast, might get feedback of, you successfully resolve conflicts, which allow us to ship our product on time, okay? Very specific, the behavior and the desired outcome and how positive that is for the business. So that man knows exactly what to keep doing. Another thing they found is that women got shorter reviews than the men. So there's less feedback for them to actually act on and learn from. They also found that people tend to not give feedback, the constructive career-growing feedback to people who are different from them. What that means is that as a man, I might not give really constructive feedback to a woman because I don't want her to think I'm sexist. If I'm white, I might not give that feedback to a person of color because I don't want them to think I'm racist and picking on them, right? If I'm a college graduate, I might not give that feedback to someone who went to a boot camp, for example, to learn to code or attended some other you know, opportunity to do any kind of training, maybe gone through the military instead of going to college. Like if I have a college degree, I might not give that person this constructive feedback because I don't want them to think I'm you know, biased against people who don't have a college degree. So these things, again, once you are aware that this is actually something that is a thing that happens, that's been studied, you can start checking yourself and making sure that you as a manager or as a peer giving feedback to your coworkers, that you are giving feedback consistently and in the same manner, regardless of whether you feel comfortable doing that, whether it's a, you know, someone who looks like you. And I, I keep using that term looks like you in a very general sense. I'm using air quotes here, looks like you. And making sure that you're giving really the same length feedback about this is, you know, this is what you're doing is having a great impact on the business. Keep doing it. And here are new skills that you can learn that will be what we need moving forward. Receiving feedback or a performance evaluation is often the environment where employees are able to voice what they need in like a very safe space. Usually it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So having that like 
actual conversational opportunity to be like, here is the feedback, being able to have a discussion of like, why haven't I been able to meet this? Like maybe, you know, as an employee, I need this and this, or like I have too much workload or whatever. And I feel like that's just going to improve. Like, I don't know, it's going to help people's performance either way. And for like your department or company or whatever it is. Absolutely. And that gets back to that other point of all these black women who say that their managers met one-on-one with other people, not just black women, black people, black employees. My managers met one-on-one with my coworkers, but not with me. Like, how are they supposed to even have that opportunity to talk about what they need to be more successful and what's going to be impactful and valued by the organization? So your fifth action is to sponsor people who are different from you. What does this sponsorship look like at work? It shows up in so many different ways. It may be that as a sponsor, you're just talking about someone when they're not in the room. You're, you're singing their praises. You're talking about the work they do and how they are adding value to the organization. So you're making them more visible to everyone else who is in that room. That's an incredible way to sponsor someone. It may mean that if you are in the opportunity to recommend someone for stretch assignment, some goal that they've never done before, but you know they can do it, right? That's another great way. It's like, I, you know, I think so-and-so would be great. I think Lauren would be awesome at doing this new job. May mean actually in, in many organizations have these, knowing someone well enough to be advocating for them in a promotion or compensation meeting that is not just for the people that you manage, but for a larger organization. These calibration meetings often have about who should get promoted, who should get the top ranking, which will lead to the top raises and so forth. Um, That's another way that you can sponsor someone is by talking about them in that kind of room. So those are some ways that I like to look at the sponsorship. And again, it gets back to one of the first things we talked about, which is you can't sponsor people unless you know them. So you got to take time to get to know people from underrepresented groups in your company so that you can sponsor them. I really like the tip too about if you're going to give someone feedback, like if I were to say to Aaliyah, oh, Aaliyah, you did a great job at that. Also go to Aaliyah's boss and, you know, using this as an example and be like, Aaliyah did a really good job at that. I think it goes a long way to say it to, to both people. So, well, Karen, these are amazing tips. So I'm just going to recap them really quickly. So the five action items that you can take is number one, create a language matters discussion forum. Number two, get to know coworkers who are different from you. Number three, recognize your power and privilege at work. Don't forget to get that free download um, in the show notes. Um, Number four, revisit how you evaluate performance. And number five, sponsor people who are different from you. This is incredible. Everyone, uh, we're going to put in the show notes all the stuff that they can find uh, to follow you, to buy your books, um, (laughs) including your Instagram that I think is so cool. So thank you, Karen, so much for sharing your advice today. My gosh, thank you for having me on your show. This has been so fun. It's so fun to meet you both and to share some of these better allies kind of tips and approaches with everyone. So thank you. Welcome to Dear Career Contessa, the part of the show where we answer your questions. Remember, if you have a career question, you can submit it to us via DM on Instagram, which is at Career Contessa. Email us info at careercontessa.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 844-FEMALES. All of that information is included in the show notes as well. Today's question came to us via DM on Instagram and the person said, someone reached out to me to do an informational interview and the spirit of giving, I agreed. 
Today, at the time of our agreed meeting, he didn't reach out to conduct the call. Prior to exchanging details, he didn't do his research about me or the company or really do any of the best practices like you guys teach. But I figured I would give him a shot anyway and perhaps practice my feedback on a, on a stranger during the call. So today when he basically stood me up, I felt like it was the last straw. Now he is messaging me saying, sorry, we didn't connect today. How is tomorrow or Friday? How do I politely say no? I feel like I have already wasted time on this. Am I wrong to want to just say no? Does this not make you kind of cringe? So a unanimous no, you should not feel bad. If anything, I feel like you're, you would be doing this person a favor by sending them the feedback like, no, I'm not going to reschedule. And here's why. Like, I, I, I agree. I mean, we teach this stuff on career contests all the time. So of course, you know, one part of us wants to be like, you know, this person should know better, but also think that not rescheduling is a better way to actually teach this person how to be more successful in the future, but how to do this the right way. than if you reschedule, the very easy thing to do would be like, okay, yeah, next week. And just, it gets pushed until eternity. People might assume that since most of us are in quarantine or working remote that all of a sudden people have a bunch of free time, which is not the case. <laughs> I think some people are even more busy than they were before. So I think that to just be as direct as can be and very politely <laughs> list out like the reasons why and just a very like understanding way. Can't control how they'll react to that. Anybody who's reaching out for an informational interview, listen to this person's advice because this is kind of the reaction on the other side. Make sure you do your homework. Be courteous, like follow up, send them the calendar invite. Don't be late. All that stuff, obviously, that we talk about all the time. But I actually had something kind of similar happen to me recently. It wasn't an informational interview, but it was an event that got canceled in March because of coronavirus and the person's been trying to reschedule, reschedule. And basically I got to the point where, I mean, it was just, it was getting out of control. It was like, I think we were on email like 65 or something. It was nuts. And from March, you know, those email chains. And I, I really truly did not have the bandwidth to host this event and it was changing every week. And I said, no. And then the person came back and they were like, well, what about if we did this? And I, you know, and it, it became harder and harder to say no. And one of my frustrations with that is that it's already so hard for people, especially like for me, I don't like saying no to that kind of stuff. I, I have a hard time setting that boundary. And I was really proud of myself to be like, I unfortunately have to, to decline this. Like I can't do this. And then the person would keep coming back almost to like guilt trip me into like, well, if you say no, it's going to cancel it for everybody else. And so I think that, you know, there also has to be a lot of respect for when people are saying no, like this person, right? If she goes back to him and says like, I can't reschedule. I hope that he has the respect to listen to her and realize like, wow, I, I have something to learn. I need to learn from this. I need to do this differently in the future, but also please don't guilt trip people when they do say no to, you know, hopefully he will be self-aware to be like, oh no, like I understand what happened here and be like, that's totally fine. Obviously who knows how he's going to react and like, you can't control that. But I think kind of like, yeah, using the phrasing that you just said, which is like, unfortunately I need to decline this meeting or like I am unable to meet with you just as clear as that. So hopefully that gives uh, the person who asked the question, if he comes back, like, please don't feel bad about saying no. Like it's a really important thing. And it's also, I think, important that when you do say no, you hold to it because I know how uncomfortable that is too. So, you know, that's any consolation. (laughs) 
next week, we actually have a special Dear Career Contessa expert answering your questions. We have Alex Bader, who is a recruiter at Hulu. She and I actually didn't work together at Hulu, but we uh, have been connected. And so she's going to be joining our Dear Career Contessa. So that means that you actually have your own personal opportunity to ask a recruiter any specific questions you have. Um, So you can, of course, uh, DM us, you can email us, you can leave a voicemail to submit your questions. I'm hoping that we'll be able to to ask Alex to answer a few of them for us. So again, um, you could even leave us uh, a review on iTunes with your question in it, and we'll use that to ask Alex. But it's it's really special and a cool opportunity to have the the ear and the advice, personal advice from a recruiter to, especially right now when I know so many of us are... um, maybe have job search questions. So do that. That will be special for next week. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. We absolutely love hearing from you all. and We read every single one. And remember my book, Power Moves, How Women Can Pivot, Reboot, and Build a Career Purpose is on sale now. And you can find more information at www.powermovesbook.com. If you're interested in getting some more training on inclusion, being a better ally and building better workplaces, sign up for Karen's weekly newsletter where each week she shares five new tips. We'll link to that in the show notes. And a big thank you to Karen Catlin for sharing her time and wisdom around actions you can take to build a more inclusive workplace. Um, You can learn more about Karen and better allies in the show notes as well.